Al Jazeera podcast. On Tuesday, Yevgeny Prigozhin, leader of the Wagner mercenary group, was buried privately in a cemetery on the outskirts of St. Petersburg. On Sunday, genetic analysis confirmed his death after a plane crash north of Moscow last week. We turn now to the latest news on Wagner mercenary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin. Russian authorities have confirmed the death of the Russian mercenary leader in a plane crash last week following genetic testing conducted at the crash site. It was just two months to the day after he'd led a march toward Moscow in what was ultimately a failed mutiny against Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, Prigozhin and much of the leadership of the Wagner Group are gone. Prigozhin's possible death has raised questions about the fate of his army of mercenaries. The Wagner Group is known to the world for its involvement in the Ukraine war and in conflicts in parts of the Middle East and Africa. In Russia, though, Prigozhin's a polarizing figure. So, what do Russians think about his death And what does it mean for Putin's hold on power? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Nico Robioff. I'm a freelance journalist and author. And since early last year, I've been doing a lot of work related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, mostly with Al Jazeera. Okay, so Nico, where were you when you heard about Yevgeny Prigozhin's death? And what was your level of surprise when you heard the news? I wasn't really surprised at all. Like, his mutiny was a serious embarrassment. If you go up against your government, either you win or there's consequences. Maybe what surprised me a little was Prigozhin, obviously, he's an insider. He knows how the Kremlin operates. Obviously, he's not a naive pencil pusher, you know, the man headed a band of mercenaries, and if you dig back deeper, he has a criminal past, so surely he knew that something like this might happen. But yeah, in general, ever since he lost the mutiny, I always thought he was dead now walking. So let's talk just about the nuts and bolts of the crash at this point in time. What do we know? Where did it happen? Do we know anything about what may have caused it? Oh, I've heard lots of theories. So the first one was apparently it got shot down out of the sky with the surface-to-air missiles. But now I've heard that U.S. intelligence are claiming that's not what happened. And that's what Pentagon spokesperson Brigadier General Patrick Ryder said in a press conference last Thursday. We're continuing to assess uh, the situation. Um, We don't have any information to indicate right now. Um, The press reporting uh, stating that there was some type of surface-to-air missile that took down the plane. That We assess that information to be inaccurate. There's someone saying there's a ball on board. There are some witnesses saying there are some dodgy repairs being made to the plane before. There are a number of different theories. One thing I found interesting was how quickly the news got out there. I mean, there was video of the plane falling from the sky, video of the wreckage, tail number confirmation. And I, I've heard a lot of people say that the Russian state media seemed unusually well-prepared to cover this accident. Does the coverage suggest something deeper was at play here? 
So the state or like the state sympathetic media, the Kremlin spokesperson, they haven't been hiding this. They've been trying to deflect suspicion away from Moscow. So there is a Vladimir Solovyov, who's a very famous media figure. He was on air saying it was either the Ukrainians or the Anglo-Saxons who are behind it. Anglo-Saxons are definitely behind this crime. And this was like the very same Solovyov who was raging about the dozen or so Russian airmen who lost their lives during the mutiny, saying that no one has paid for it. President Vladimir Putin pays tribute to pilots who were killed during the failed weekend mutiny, confirming reports that several planes were shot down by Evgeny Prigozhin's Wagner militia. Well, now apparently it seems someone has paid for it. So he really has to get his story straight. Al Jazeera caught up with some Russians on the streets of Moscow who had some pretty strong feelings about Prigozhin and what happened to him. I think it is a tragedy. A human tragedy and a tragedy for society. He was a cult figure. People knew about him. Of course it's a pity. He was a hero of Russia. It's always a pity to lose such people. Yes, it's good, because traitors end up like that. We don't feel sorry for traitors. We also heard from Sergei Kalenik, who does public relations for the Kremlin. And he says the idea that Prigozhin was assassinated has still generated a lot of skepticism, even after the bodies on the plane were genetically tested. Everybody in Russia, right now, in Telegram channels, reading the news, and uh, everybody's reactions was, hmm, maybe it's set up, because uh, Prigozhin is known as a guy that you can't be sure anything about him. But more than anything, he says, many Russians like him aren't sure what to think. Prigozhin has been declared dead in an airplane crash before, so, as Sergei put it, why must we believe now? Prigozhin is a pirate, like Jake Sparrow, and he was pronounced, announced dead maybe five times every time he was crashed on the plane, and maybe... A few weeks later, he was alive again. So nobody is excited about this plane crash. As you can imagine, among Russians, the theories abound. Nico laid out some of the reasons why, and it comes back to a TV show. So about 20 years ago, there was a popular gangster series on TV called Brigada about the Russian mob in the 90s. And it ends with, spoiler alert, the main character appearing to be blown up by a car bomb, but we later see what happens is he switched cars, and he comes back to take revenge on his enemies. And when the Wagner offices were searched during the mutiny, they found a number of passports with Prigozhin's photo under different names. And I think it's a fair assumption he might have more secret identities. So the theory that's circulating around the ether is... If the Kremlin was actually telling the truth this time and they weren't behind it, or maybe, you know, Prigozhin heard about the murder plot in advance, maybe he faked his own death. And that would make sense as well, you know, that's as like a way out for him out of this seemingly impossibly deadly situation. And maybe that was his plan B as well, you know, fake your own death. It's all speculation at this point, but I don't think we can rule it out as a possibility. Uh, what would be interesting is if he's out and stays out, or if he's planning a comeback. 
So, Nico, we did a podcast two months ago, right after the attempted coup, and it was pretty raw back then. And I wonder how people feel about it now. Is Prigozhin looked at as more of a folk hero or as a traitor? And do you think his death will affect his legacy at all? So Putin himself has offered his condolences. He said Prigozhin was a talented businessman who made mistakes but ultimately did the right thing. We are hearing from Reuters that Putin sends his condolences to uh, Prigozhin, the founder of Russia's Wagner Group. He sends his uh, condolences to Prigozhin's family. Just Ramzan Kadyrov, the leader of Chechnya, he said that Prigozhin's death was a great loss for Russia. You can make your own assumptions about how sincere their words are. And in terms of the Russian public, there was a makeshift memorial outside the Wagner offices in St. Petersburg, where a number of mourners have shown up, many of them uh, ex-Wagnerites or somehow connected to Prigozhin's business empire. A few actual Prigozhin fans, but also, I don't know, like, I wouldn't overestimate his popularity. Like, he had guns, but he didn't really have a popular movement. If we think back to the rebellion, there were some residents of Rostov, the city which Wagner occupied. Some of them were waving Wagner flags during the rebellion, but I think it's more the case, you know, that they're just excited that something's happening in their hometown. I don't think we should see that as anything much deeper than that. In terms of the Russian opposition, uh, pretty much everyone assumes that Putin ordered the crash one way or the other, that he had to show us strength and the traitors will be dealt with. That includes a social media account associated with leading Russian opposition figure, Alexei Navalny, who has been in prison since 2021. The Navalny account on social media, I'm not sure if Navalny himself is writing it from prison, but either way, his account raised a good point, and that's, that wasn't just that uh, Prigozhin who supposedly died in that crash, but it's also nine other passengers and crew as well. And the fact that a yeah. innocent flight attendant also lost her life is kind of skipped over in most of these discussions. After the break, more on what Prigozhin's death means for the Wagner troops and for Putin's grip on power. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women. An unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, okay, Nico, you said not to overestimate Prigozhin's popular appeal, but you also never want to underestimate the appeal of a martyr. Is there any danger that this turns Prigozhin into a figure who's more powerful in his death than in his life? For that, there'd have to be a Wagner-Prigozhin movement in Russia, which doesn't really exist, I didn't think. Like, Prigozhin isn't like some sort of thuggish version of Navalny, like his beef was how the war was being fought, not the war itself per se. Right. And although he did say at one point that Russians' reasons for war were a lie, but 
I think that shows so much a principled political position of his, considering that he also took part in that war. Prigozhin thinks they can do a better job than what he feels is a disorganized Russian army. We started this wonderful special operation on February 24, 2022. We stomped around for a month and then came to a standstill. We got our butts kicked from many directions and what did we see? An army that is creaking. No management, no training, no weapons. You can't understand it? It's a total mess. So I don't think we should look so much as to what ordinary Russians think as to the elite. So are they going to double down on their loyalty to Putin or will they feel their position is even more imperiled than before and they might try to act accordingly? It's hard to tell what's happening behind closed doors, but if you're fighting all at war and you're ordering assassinations on your own team, it appears to me your position isn't entirely stable. So, Nico, last time we talked, I remember you said Prigozhin was such a tease. Remember we had spent that Saturday watching the news and it was just it was just wild. And Prigozhin took his troops to within just a few hundred miles of Moscow and just stopped. And in- incredibly, he and Putin negotiated a deal. Kremlin has confirmed uh, Putin met with Prigozhin five days after the Wagner armed mutiny. Uh, the meeting took place in the Kremlin on June the 29th. Can you just talk about what that deal was and, and what Prigozhin has been up to for the past two months? We don't know the exact details of the deal, but it appears from all the reports that he was essentially exiled to Belarus. I had some degree of safety from uh, Lukashenko. Alexander Lukashenko played a critical role in ending an armed insurrection inside Russia. He has ruled Belarus like a personal fiefdom, tolerating little opposition and occupying the post of president from its creation in 1994. Lukashenko has now, since then, I've seen he's denied that the Prigozhin's asked for any safety guarantees. But the plan was, as I understand, to base Wagner out of Belarus to kick them out of Russia. Belarus, of course, being a close Russian ally, so it wasn't that much of a switch. But then problems started appearing because Belarus didn't actually want to pay for Wagner's upkeep didn't want to pay for their camp and all that. Yeah, up until a week ago, it seemed like business as usual for Prigozhin. It's worth just reiterating that there were 10 people on this plane. You had top commanders, not just Prigozhin, but also the co-founder of the Wagner Group, Dmitry Utkin. So where does this leave the Wagner Group? Is it effectively finished? I think it's a good question because they were relocated to Belarus, but Belarus doesn't want to pay for them. I think that someone considered loyal to Putin will be appointed as the new CEO, for lack of a better word, at least for the time being. I think Wagner's operations in Africa and elsewhere, they're too profitable to be broken up now. So they'll continue running under a new management, at least until they find a way to split it up. And uh, as for the Wagner fighters themselves and whether their loyalties lie with Kigoshin or Mother Russia... Uh, I'm not sure. I think you'll have to ask them. Do you wonder what the lessons 
that the Russian people will take away from this is, is it don't ever mess with Putin or don't ever trust Putin? Because maybe the mistake wasn't the attempted coup. It was that Prigozhin called it off at the last second and tried to negotiate. It's not don't try the coup. It's don't negotiate and take it all the way. I guess that's what surprised me about the mutiny in the first place. Surely, like, if you're doing something like that, you need to go all in. Don't just try to keep one foot to the door and one foot in the hallway, you know what I mean? So hours after the jet crashed, Putin is out in front of the world, virtually appearing by video monitor at the BRICS summit in South Africa. BRICS, of course, is the alliance of countries of the, in the global south, Brazil, Iran, India, South Africa. And the fact that he was there, not in person, is tied to an international criminal court arrest warrant for him issued in the spring. But he was there in the monitors denouncing what he called illegitimate sanctions against Russia. This meeting will be very useful, and I hope will contribute to the strengthening of friendly relations between the countries of the five. From next year on, it will no longer be the five. It'll be more countries, along with your states, and it will serve to intensify cooperation in a variety of areas. So from what I understand, this was a pre-recorded speech, but it does give the impression of strength. What do you think? Does Putin come out of this stronger? Apart from Belarus, I don't think Russia really has many allies. So China, South Africa, Brazil, maybe their leaders or their press say stuff which is sympathetic to the Kremlin, certainly from the Ukrainian point of view. But at the same time, they're not exactly rushing to jump in the ring either. Iran's selling weapons to Russia while the Europeans are donating them to Ukraine. So you see the difference. All the Russian diplomats, they keep pushing this idea of a multipolar world. But even if there is a power block emerging to rival the West, I certainly don't think Russia's at the head of it. For example, you know how this war was allegedly provoked by NATO expansion, but then Finland goes ahead and actually joins NATO, and what does Russia do? Nothing. Today, Finland became the 31st member of the Security Alliance. So another like a thousand or two thousand kilometers of NATO has been added to Russia's border. The Russian high command isn't a particularly viable or stable career path right now. Shoigu, the defense minister, he seems to be holding on. But, you know, given all the drama, I wouldn't bet too much on his future. By comparison, the Ukrainian side looks fairly stable, like the same guys have been ruining the war effort from the beginning still seem to be running it. So in terms of leadership, Russia's in disarray, I think. As, as I said before, you know, if you're ordering assassinations on your own team just over a year into a war, I don't think that's a good sign. So Putin's projection of strength is basically that all the most optimistic predictions by his opponents haven't happened to him yet, which is a very low bar to clear. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Faranisa Kampana and Amy Walters with Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, Zainab Badr, Sonia Bagat, and me, Kevin Hurton, in from Alika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is the Take's executive producer. 
And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs> 